Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You are listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, uh, we are in a, in a, a season and a series on the Beatitudes and uh, I try, have you been enjoying it for those who've been with us? It's, um, there is something wonderful about the words of Jesus. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is one of those messages and, uh, that Jesus gives. It's probably his most well-known. And the words are beautiful. You know, I think that, that most people as they read, whether you're a Christian or not, would read the words of the Beatitudes and go, yes, the ethics of the kingdom of God, they are amazing. But the reality is, is that they should be also deeply confronting. Because the ethics of the kingdom of God are upside down in relationship or in comparison to actually what we experience and what we see in our world. In fact, the human disposition actually naturally walks against it. And when Jesus speaks about the values of the kingdom, whilst on the exterior we say yes, if we really confront and we really take hold of what Jesus is saying, it should shake our cage. I want to say if you haven't been challenged, if you haven't been confronted over this season in this series, you're not listening, you're not hearing. Because actually Jesus, as he invites us in, he does challenge us as well. And, and I think this beatitude that we're going to look at today is, is should challenge us, and, uh, but also excite us and enthuse us and send us out. It's, it's a beatitude where the behaviour and the blessing are the same. You know, throughout the beatitudes, you have a behaviour that then follows with a blessing. But today we're looking at the beatitude... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive or they shall be shown mercy. The behaviour is also the gift. And when we think about mercy, I think both inside the church, those who are followers of Jesus and those outside, those who have no interest in Jesus, would say that mercy is a good thing, right? Mercy is good. We celebrate mercy. And If we're really honest, and maybe we don't always like being honest with ourselves, we're all in need of mercy. I know I'm in need of mercy. And and perhaps there is one person more than anyone else in this world that knows I need mercy. There is someone in this world that is incredibly merciful, and you probably can guess it. It's my wife, Megan. Megan is incredibly merciful. I was thinking this week of all the things that I have done uh, that have required mercy. And, uh, and I'm not going to go through all of them or else that will be the whole and entire sermon. But let me give you a few, uh, which you've probably heard before. Because as you know, I'm running out of sermon illustrations. Uh, but I remember, you know, soon after, we've been here 10 years, three days after we arrived in Australia, I went out water skiing at a staff function and forgot to take my wedding ring off. This thing that was kind of like for Megan, a precious article of our marriage in London. Three days here in Australia, Megan's still dealing with the fact that she's moved to another country. I lose my wedding ring. It, it fell off as I was water skiing right down to the bottom of Mugra Dam. And I remember driving the whole way back, just rehearsing in my mind the different ways that I would just express my absolute grief and sorrow so that Megan would show me mercy. And she did. She showed me mercy and she was very, she was very kind. 
I've also shared the story about last year when we went on holidays out to Stanthorpe. It was a winter holiday and it was very exciting and um, we'd been given keys to a house to enjoy out there in Stanthorpe and, and off we went on our trip. We got to Warwick, got all that, did some shopping. Megan got back in the car with me. She turned to me and said, Andrew, have you got the keys to the house? I'd totally forgotten the keys. So we drove all the way back to Brisbane to get the keys. So all the way, a three-hour drive turned into a six-hour drive. I can tell you that there was a lot of mercy shown to me from my wife, Megan, and the kids that day. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I needed to do some DIY around the house, and uh, I needed a knife to, uh, just, to, just, to, just to fix something, and I grabbed Megan's favourite cutting knife because it was there. You know, as men, we were in a hurry. We need to get that screw thing done, whatever. That's what I was doing. I snapped the blade of the knife. Megan showed some mercy towards me and then said, Andrew, you will be buying another one. <laughs> Any men ever done that before? Just, just grab the wrong knife. Yeah, well, Caleb, yeah, inevitable. I knew Caleb, you'd have done something like that. Blessed are the merciful. Megan is blessed for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is good, but this beatitude is also confronting. Perhaps it's not apparent to us when we read, blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. But there's a twist and there's a challenge for every one of us. What I love about Jesus, he doesn't just say these truths, but he also gives stories to those of us who are simple, so that we can understand. And uh, we're going to look at a story this morning of how Jesus unpacks some of this ethic. It's found in Matthew chapter 18 a little bit later on. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 18. The words will be also on the screen behind me. Let's read this together. Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came up to Jesus, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus isn't being literal here. He's speaking in hyperbole, as we'll see a little bit later on. He's just saying, no, not seven, 77. Therefore, Jesus goes on, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you, have ha shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You know, we love the idea of mercy, as I said before. We love the idea of forgiveness, of kindness, 
It's one of those high values that we see, not just within the church, but within our culture and society. We love the idea of mercy. But there's a question. And Peter asked this question because he wants some clarity. What is the limit of forgiveness? What is the limit of mercy? How far should we go in offering mercy, grace, love? See, mercy is good until it gets hard. (laughs) You find that? Forgiveness is good until it gets hard, until it gets costly. And Peter asks the question because he wants to know the line, how often should I forgive? How often should I offer mercy? Jesus responds to this question by providing a story. He provides a parable. And what's embedded in this parable and what's embedded in the, the beatitude is this. Those who receive mercy require mercy. Those who are called to offer mercy ultimately need mercy. See, every person, every Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, those who offer mercy, because prior to that, they need mercy. See, every one of us is in need of mercy. We need mercy. It's not like blessed are the merciful for when they stuff up at some point into the future, then they'll, be received, they'll receive mercy. No, 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 the status is, the status for everyone is they, you, I, we require are in desperate need for mercy. We need mercy. And this confronts us. And Jesus is gonna get to the heart of this, but the reality is that needing mercy Requiring mercy, we are in need of that. That confronts us in strong ways, in profound ways. And I think in some ways we actually resist mercy because we have this disposition, as you hear me say quite a bit, we have this disposition towards religion. See, this is at the heart of Peter as well, right? He's wanting to know where the lines are, where's the boundary, who's in, what's out, what's required of me. Why? Because it's neat and it's tidy. We actually want to know where the lines are because we want to justify ourselves. We don't like saying we 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 don't like saying we're outside of the realm of mercy. We like to say I'm in the good books, and I'm going to make a power play. I'm going to determine how I'm going to offer mercy. But the reality is, is that we are in need of mercy. Religion pushes against it. And it's ugly in the church, isn't it? We kind of set up these rules and these boundaries and say you're in and you're out based on my own good work, based on the fact that I am good, based on the fact that I've ticked all the boxes. It sits in our heart, this disposition towards religion. It's, it's not just in the church, but it's everywhere. We all want to say that we're good. We all want to say we're not in need of mercy, When we look at it in our culture today, we see that there is also this narrative, there's this moralism that is at at play and at work. These these often undefined rules, or maybe they're, if they are rules, they are rules around the uh, psychological self, about the feeling of being good and, and this vague sense of doing good to others. 
And whilst it may be vague, it actually is wrought in very powerful ways. I've actually been watching with some interest the, the, the journey of J.K. Rowling, the, the famous author of the Harry Potter series. And just seeing over the last three or four years how she has been viciously cancelled by many who grew up loving her books because of some things that she said on some social commentary that she said, brutally cancelled. See, we have a moral framework and mercy is offered to a certain level, but once people step out of that, then mercy goes out the window. We live in a religious world where cancel culture is the axe that swings for those who step out, those who are outside of Peter's seven times forgiveness. I know I've used this quote before, but I find it incredibly helpful. The quote by Nick uh, uh, Cave, who's the Australian singer and songwriter. And he says this when he's asked, what is mercy? This is how Nick Cave responds. He says, as far as I can see, cancel culture is mercy's antithesis. Political correctness has grown to become the unhappiest religion in the world. It's once honourable attempt to reimagine our society in a more equitable way now embodies all the worst aspects that religion has to offer and none of the beauty. Moral certainty and self-righteousness, shorn even of the capacity for redemption, it has become quite literally bad religion run amok. And Peter asks the question, where's the line? Who's in? Who's out? How can I pass judgment on others? Who's worthy of forgiveness? Who's worthy of mercy? Where's the line? And Jesus responds by saying, there is no line. There is no line to mercy. And he goes on to tell a parable which should have shaken to the core those who were listening. He tells a story about a king and his relationship with a servant. And the whole point of this, and you've got to understand, is that they're listening and let's go into the story. Who's the king in this story? Well, the king is God. The king in this story is God. The kingdom of God is like a king. So the king is God. Who's the servant? Well, it would be nice to make the servant somebody else, right? Push it out there, so, you know, someone over there. But Jesus is intentionally putting Peter and the listeners right in the centre of the frame. He's saying, Peter, he's saying to the disciples, he's saying to you and me, you're the servant. You're the servant. This is deeply confronting. And Jesus gives an analogy of finance. He gives an analogy of work and what is owed. It's a, it's a justice system. And he says that there's a servant who owes the king. Once the king figures out how much is owed, there's a servant that owes 10,000 talents. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. 10,000 in Greek is the word myriad. It's where we get the word myriad. And in that time, 10,000 myriad was the largest number in their language. So Jesus has reached for the largest number accessible to him. He says, a servant owes the largest number of talents. Now, what is a talent? Well, one talent is uh, equal, it was a bag of gold, he said, uh, equivalent to 20 years' salary. So you just do that maths in your mind. You know, how much 20 years of an average salary, whatever it is, that's a lot of money. So 10,000 times 20 years' wage equals 200,000 years' wage. 
Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. I mean, the whole fact that a servant could go away and say, don't worry, Jesus. Um, he said, don't worry, king. I'll go and I'll, I'll earn it back. I'll earn 200,000 years of wage. It's kind of like, no, that's not going to happen. Jesus is making the point that this debt will never be forgiven. Now, I could show you in, in other ways on Excel spreadsheets. I know that there are finance people in this room who just get very excited about Excel spreadsheets. And I could, you know, we could map it all out on graphs. We could throw pivot tables. And, and, and for, for about 5% of you, you get really excited to, to, to see an Excel spreadsheet in a sermon. But I, I like Excel spreadsheets, but I'm not that good. I'm a little simple, and so I, I thought I'd go with a little more ancient and visual kind of way of showing this. This is how they used to roll in those times. Can everyone see that? Hopefully that's high enough. This is, this is, a, this is a scale, an old... These go, this goes back, not this one in particular, but it goes back to Egyptian times. Um, this one I just got on eBay. Uh, not from Egypt. Um, and and for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people have used this to weigh and to measure value. And so you would put in, as you can see, you'd put in, I've got a 50, 50 grams here, and you'd put that in, say that's just a weight, and you go, I, I want to pay back. And this is how it would have happened in that time as the, as the king and got together and he's just figuring out his accounts, how, many, how much silver or gold is valued. Well, then you'd put your 50 grams there and you'd start to kind of put the, the gold or the silver or the precious metal or whatever it was until you got the needle. Is that about right? To about right. And yeah, that's, that's, that's not too bad. And there you would go, that is the ancient spreadsheet, people. There is your Excel spreadsheet. And so this would, and, and this is a picture right now of justice. So you would see Lady Justice now outside the law courts, blindfolded to speak of impartiality, a sword to speak of justice, holding a set of scales like these to speak of equity, of fairness. So you can imagine that this is how things went in those times. Now, I've just given you five grams. I want to give you a picture of how much, you know, as the king was figuring out the counts, how much was actually owed. Well, can you imagine it actually was? Let me, I did some maths here. One talent was approximately 15 kilo of metal. So 10,000 talents equaled about 150 tonnes which is about 26 elephants or 75 cars or a 15-storey skyscraper. In other words, if I was doing this with you now, I mean, I've just got 10 kilos there. If I had another 100 and, what is it, 150,000 of these? Is that my maths right about that? 150,000 of these? I need an Excel spreadsheet, people. <laughs> then you would get the right weight to put on the scale. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This is the debt that the servant is owed. But come on, let's go back now into the story. What's Jesus really trying to say? He's saying that if God is the king and we are the servant, the debt is incalculable. It's huge. 
We can't pay back the debt. See, the reality is, is our sin is so great and the relationship so, so broken that there is nothing that we can do to restore right way with God again. The forget, we cannot earn back our forgiveness. It is impossible. Now, we, we hear these words, sin. We hear this word, and, and often, and, and maybe you're here, you're exploring faith. You go, oh, here, here's another church that's banging on about sin. And often when we hear the word sin, we, we attach the word guilt and shame and judgment. But the reality is sin is something that happens in relationship. Martin Luther said that sin is someone turning in on themselves, turning away from God. It's relational. There is a brokenness at its very heart that is impossible to repair. And what Jesus is doing here by placing value, incalculable value, is actually not demeaning. He's actually saying the relationship is so valuable. It actually speaks of the great value that God sees in us and the value that he sees in relationship with us. And here's the good news. And we know this, right? This is the Jesus story that God makes a way. See, God looks down just like the king and we, as we continue to read the story, we see that the king looked on the servant who cried out for help. The king looks on the servant who he knows can't pay and the servant knows he can't pay it back. He looks down on him with pity. We read this in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. No, you won't. And the king knows that. The servant's master took pity on him cancelled the debt and let him go. Jesus is giving a picture of what he is about to do for us as humanity. God shows pity towards us by becoming pitiful before us, by dying for us, by being hung on a cross, naked and ashamed. God becomes pitiful in our eyes in order that the debt may be paid. And it's the debt, as we think about this debt, it's relational. It's a relational debt. It's making what is impossible possible where the divine comes down and becomes human and dies for us. It's a conundrum. See, mercy, forgiveness has a price. It has a cost. There's a price to be paid and God pays it for us. It's the good news of the gospel. And when we receive it, when we get on our knees, when we humble ourselves and receive his grace, it sets us free. The debt has been cancelled. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we've earned, not because of our goodness, not because of our religion, not, not because of our ticking boxes or whatever it is, but all because what God has done for us. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If you are in Christ today, people, you are free indeed. You don't need to carry around the weight of debt anymore. 
You don't need to walk around tired. You don't need to walk around trying to earn it or try to offload it or try to whatever it is. You are set free from the burden of sin, not because of striving, but because of receiving. We just need to receive mercy. And here's the thing, and this is the point of the beatitude and this is the point of the story. Receiving mercy is the key to offering mercy. See, we need a revelation of how much mercy we've received. And when we get that revelation that we have been pitiful, that we are in need, when we get a revelation that it's actually the profound work of the cross that changes us, that it then moves us towards offering mercy. It's the gospel. It's what God has done in us that changes us and moves us to a place of offering mercy. I used this, uh, just this picture last week. I, I, I preached over at Redlands and just, it came to my heart, but this is whole idea of when we receive mercy, just like that servant, we get on our knees. And when we get on our knees, we stay on our knees. See, when we walk with an understanding that, er, that we have received mercy, you have received mercy, that God gives you mercy when you receive that mercy, from now on, you walk on your knees. And here's the thing, when you walk on your knees, you see others who are in need of mercy and you're not afraid to say, I see you. I see your pain. I see your brokenness. I see what's going on in your life. And even though maybe you have offended me, maybe you've done things towards me, I also walk on my knees. See, when we receive mercy, we are free to offer mercy. In fact, we're not just free to offer. And here's the weight of the words of Jesus. We are compelled. We must. We must. I think one of the hardest things that we find is in receiving mercy in this whole place of humility, and, 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 and maybe this will speak to your heart today, I pray it does, is part of receiving mercy and forgiveness is actually receiving forgiveness for yourself. Now, I actually think one of the hardest things is forgiving ourselves. Sometimes maybe we're, we're, we're happy to forgive others, but we're not able to forgive ourselves. Oh, love is for other people, but if you really knew who I was, you know, we keep a ledger, we keep a tally in our heart and our mind of all the things we do. And whilst we might believe that the gospel is true and that God has died for us and the weight of sin has been taken, it's true for everybody else, but it's not true for me. And we carry around in our hearts and our minds the weight of sin. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. There is a liberating truth that we need to get hold of that we need to offer forgiveness for ourselves, that mercy is for us. And so often we are not willing to offer mercy for ourselves. And the way that that works out is, and often this is how it looks like, we're, we, we, we don't offer mercy to others because actually we haven't offered mercy to ourselves. Or to flip it the other way, we set a, a standard or a bar for other people but internally, we've also got the same bar and standard that we know that we can't stand up to. And so we walk with shame 
and guilt because internally we know that we are not good enough. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians where he says, I don't care, as he writes to the Corinthians, you have the context, the Corinthians are, um, you know, they're, they're wondering who they're going to follow. Are we going to follow Peter? Are we going to follow Apollos? You know, are we going to follow Paul? And Paul just writes them, he says, guys, I don't care what you think. In fact, I don't care what I think. The only thing that matters is what God thinks. The only thing that matters is how God makes judgment. He says, my conscience is clear, but that, but that does not make me innocent. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. It is the Lord who judges me, and the Lord has judged me, and he has found me righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you here this morning, is, is you haven't forgiven yourself. You actually don't have mercy for yourself. God has offered us great mercy and we are compelled then to offer that mercy to others. Jesus, a little bit later on in Matthew chapter 5, just a few sentences later says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's another way of saying you have been given mercy, therefore you must give mercy. Dallas Willard says it like this. It is not psychologically possible for us, to, for us really to know God's pity for us and at the same time be hard-hearted towards others. And this is the picture that Jesus is giving in this story. Jesus goes on to say that this servant who's received great mercy, incalculable mercy, goes out and finds a servant who owes him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii is one third of a year's salary. It's 220 grams of silver. Now, I could represent 220 grams worth of silver uh, for you, but instead I thought I'd do it in chocolate because as we know, chocolate is just as good as silver. Here is 200 grams of lint dark chocolate and this is a very, very, very dangerous material. <laughs> Anybody else agree? When the TV goes on at night, I tell you, dark chocolate. That's how much, this is how much the servant owed the other servant 200 grams of silver. What'd the servant say? Go to jail. Go to jail and pay off the debt. You can imagine the hearers at that time, just the rage, the injustice. How could they? I mean, this is what stirred, come on, this is the material that stirs us up when we watch movies, right? There's always got to be this antagonist who does this outlandishly injusticing and for the rest of the movie, you're just waiting for that person to get nailed. Come on, that's the that's source of so many movies. And Jesus understands it, right? He's telling the story and they're all going, how could that person do that? Take him down, yeah, banish him out, torture him, do all that. Come on, because he deserves it. When really, really enter the story, Jesus is saying, you're, you're the servant who refuses to forgive. 
Don't be that person. See, the ethics of the kingdom of God is this. You have received great mercy. Therefore, you must give mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We are all in need of desperate mercy. And when we understand that we have received mercy, it should move us out. I love the picture that, um, that Jesus gives in another story, the, 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 the passage, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, the Good Samaritan understood that he needed mercy. He, he understood his loneliness and lowliness in that context. That's why Jesus uses the Samaritan. And when you look at the Samaritan, there are three things that he shows that I want us to grab hold of because it's what mercy looks like when we're moved. We see firstly that when we're moved with mercy, we are filled with pity. This word pity is a powerful, deep word that we need to feel because it moves us, because it moves the heart of God. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 10, but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is pity we need to understand as, as this empathetic, compassionate kind of thing that moves the heart. I want to ask you, have you felt pity recently? Have you felt pity recently? Have you felt that deep compassion towards somebody? Maybe somebody who has deeply offended you. Maybe someone who's going through a broken time. Maybe someone who's out on the streets of Brisbane. Maybe somebody who's in your workplace going through a really hard time. Have you felt pity? See, the, the Good Samaritan, as Jesus tells us stories, filled with compassion. Pity that moves us to compassion, this empathy, this ability to walk in somebody else's shoes. Remember when we walk in our knees? It helps us to walk in other people's shoes. I know that doesn't work as a metaphor, but I'm running with it. Firstly, the Good Samaritan, filled with mercy and pity, is moved in compassion. Secondly, the Good Samaritan, through mercy, is moved with and is used through his capacity. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He used his means, his capacity to love and to show mercy. We've all got capacity. We've all got things in our hands. We've all got time. One of the absolute joys of walking the streets of the city on Thursday mornings is not so much, and we carry red bags with us as we go, and we'll take up and goes and bananas or whatever, but actually it's presence. It's dignity. It's the love of Jesus. It's praying for them and sharing them and saying, hey, listen, we love you. You're our friends. You know Jesus loves you. And allowing, allowing people who are often disregarded and walk past to actually say you're seen, you're known, and you're loved. We can all do that. The Good Samaritan moved with compassion, used his capacity, and had conviction. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. There is a conviction in his heart that this is not just a, a hit and run kind of thing. That this is in for the long haul. I will walk alongside you. I will walk alongside the person in need. God has called us. He has compelled us. He charges us to live with mercy. And Jesus should be shaking our hearts and our minds this morning.
saying, you cannot, with everything that I've done for you, with everything that I have given you, now go out and not offer mercy, forgiveness, kindness to those around you, whether it's personal, whether it's, whether it's personal forgiveness or whether it's compassion and mercy to the stranger. And when we're filled with this understanding, when we're filled with the power of the gospel, when we know, when, as we walk on our knees, knowing that we are in desperate need of his mercy, knowing that he has filled us with his mercy, we must, we are filled and empowered to go out with compassion, with capacity and conviction to love the streets, the highways, the byways, the, high, the universities, the high rises, the communities, the neighbourhoods, wherever it is with the mercy and love of Jesus. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says as he comments on the disciples as they live out this beatitude. He says, these men without possession or power, these strangers on earth, these sinners, these followers of Jesus have in their life with him renounced their own dignity. Come on, hold on to these words. They've renounced their own dignity. They have humbled themselves. They're walking on their knees for they are merciful. They go out and seek all who are enmeshed in the toils of sin and guilt. It makes them forget their own dignity and honour and seek the society of sinners. People, that is what we are called to do. That's the people that we're called to be. People who have received mercy, going out and loving, forsaking our own dignity to give dignity to others, to give life to others, to give compassion to others, to give forgiveness to others, to bring life to others. That is why we're here in the city. That's why I love the picture of Susan before My heart and prayer is that as we receive mercy, as we truly understand what God has done for us, we will be compelled to go out into the streets, into the communities, the schools and the universities and the workplaces with the mercy of Jesus. Yes, this is about our care ministry. Yes, this is about loving those who are on the streets, but it goes far beyond that. It goes to our family members. It goes to that person that you sit next to in your office who drives you crazy. It goes to those in your universities who you really have a difficult time conversing with, where you feel judged with. It goes to every part, element and core of who we are. And as we do, as we spill out, just like the early disciples who changed the Roman Empire, we too, I believe, will speak life and hope into a culture that is cancelling people left, right and centre. We must come with a different posture. We must shine a different light. We must live with a different love for we are people of mercy. Oh, may it fill our hearts. May we live like that. It's costly. It's costly. It's costly. I think the only way that we can count the cost is by understanding how much cost that God has paid for you and for me so that we can have eternal life with Him. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have an eternal hope. That's why we do what we do with Gateway Beyond. It's why there is in us conviction and a, and a, and a drive to open more doors in more places so that more people can hear the good news of Jesus including planning a church here four years ago and opening doors into the heart of the city so people can hear the good news of Jesus. 
It's why we send workers out from this church into the universities with power to change so that they can share the good news of Jesus. It's why we send people right around the world into into some of the darkest, hardest places. You heard the story of Janine Samuels this morning so that more people can hear the life-changing good news of Jesus. Mercy, mercy is costly. But it's what God calls us to do. Let me encourage you, be praying this week. Be praying about how you can give so that we can plant more churches, that we can send more workers into the harvest, both locally and globally. So the good news of Jesus, the merciful, kind, life-giving, loving name of Jesus can go out. Encourage you this week, go away. Go away and pray about what God is calling you to give, how you can play your part in seeing the mercy of God go out from this place. Next week, we will celebrate. There will be great joy as, uh, as we bring our commitments. Next Sunday, Commitment Sunday. Be ready, be ready to celebrate. Be encouraging you this week to be praying. Hey, I wonder whether we can stand. Let's stand. I'm going to get the band to come up. I'm going to sing, sing a song that just celebrates and reflects on the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been good. And God has been so kind and so good to us. He's been so generous to you and to me. Before we sing, and we're going to take hold of this truth because I think we just need to be reminded of it because, again, as I said, it's in the receiving of mercy that sends us out when we truly understand how much we're loved then moves us out. See, loving others is not an ought to. Showing mercy and forgiveness to others is not an ought to. It's a get to. We get to because we've been loved so much. I'm going to sing that in a moment. But before we do, I just I want to come back. I just I wonder whether there are some of you here today and you really struggle. You, you are struggling to forgive yourself. That there is a ledger in your heart. And the thing that stops you perhaps from offering mercy to others is because you haven't forgiven or received true mercy for yourself. And you've got the internal ledger, the internal spreadsheet the internal balance in your heart that says, oh, but Andrew, if you only knew, if you only knew, if you only knew, and you live with the shame and you live with the guilt and you live with the regret and it stops you. And actually what it does, it actually rises in your religious heart, a religious spirit, so you find yourself judging others. You look at others and go, well, if they just gave up that habit or if they just hadn't done that thing or if they just changed that behaviour, Or maybe if they'd just done that, then they'd be better. That kind of thinking is often replayed in your own heart. And maybe this morning you just need a fresh revelation of the mercy of God for you. And you just need to breathe the fresh air of forgiveness and mercy and grace that will change your whole view and perspective. Maybe you once knew it, but you've slidden back into religion. If that's you, I'm just gonna get you. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Can you just stick your hand up if that's you? right now. You just need a fresh sense of mercy in your life. I reckon there'll be a a few of us here today. And I've got my hand up because I'm one of them. 
Anyone else just need a fresh sense of the mercy of God this morning? Come on, just stick your hand up high in the sky. Thanks, Karen. Awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else? There's self-judgment, self-condemnation. There's fear, there's guilt that just circles in your heart and mind and you just want to be set free of that today. Come on, anyone else? Stick your hand up. Awesome. Just keep your hand up high in the sky because I want to get people. That's it. Just look around. For those who've got their hand up right now, just if you're around them, just lay a hand on their shoulder and I'd love to pray for those. Over there, just over there, guys. Come on, why don't we just shut our eyes just as we pray? Because I reckon, I reckon this is for all of us because, come on, we all know that we've got a disposition towards religion. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will give those who put their hand up and you give myself and Lord, all of us a fresh sense of your grace and your mercy. A mercy that changes our heart. A mercy that draws us closer to yourself. A mercy, Lord God, that draws us more towards who you are and your purposes. And Lord Jesus, for those right now, who are living and carrying the weight of their own self-condemnation and guilt and shame. Lord God, I pray right now that you will set them free. Lord Jesus, may there just be a, a revelation of your mercy and your kindness, of your goodness and your grace. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Revelation right now of who you are. God, break through, break through the, the, the sense of law keeping. Break through, Lord God, the sense of, of trying to keep up appearances, Lord God. Break through that sense of trying to be right and be good, Lord God, and let it all go. Father God, I pray that your spirit work. And for all of us, Lord God, may you refresh our hearts. Refresh our hearts. Pour out your grace. Pour out your power. Pour out your life. Lord, you are a good God. You are so kind. God, move in us. Move on us, Lord God. Give us a fresh revelation of who you are. Pour out your grace and power, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's just continue to worship and sing the goodness of God. And uh, let's take hold of the truth of His mercy and grace today. Come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.